Many people think that the real problem of the church and churches like us is that we've never experienced the so-called blessing of being filled by the Spirit, <clears throat> evidenced by speaking in tongues. And brethren, we must confess that we know too little of the Spirit's powerful work among us. It's no good just rejecting that as wrong teaching. We need to humble ourselves. The real question that we're dealing with in these weeks is what do the Scriptures lead us to expect the Spirit will do in us when he works in power? If we're not expecting speaking in tongues, what are we expecting? What is the result or the evidence? And Ephesians 5.18 is one place in Scripture where we are commanded to be filled. It's our responsibility. Let me remind you that the filling being spoken of here as I interpreted it to you, is one by the Spirit. It's more than the indwelling of the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. In the language of chapter 3 and verse 19, we can say it's being filled with all the fullness of God. It's a Trinitarian filling. It's an absolutely amazing thought that we can only begin to understand. There's a Trinitarian focus here. Neither denying nor excluding the indwelling of the Spirit, which is true of every Christian. But do remember, who is the Holy Spirit? Is he not the Spirit of God? Is he not the Spirit of Christ? Romans 8 verse 9. Great danger with all the emphasis on the Spirit, that it's the Spirit to the neglect of the Father and the Son. What follows after verse 18 in Ephesians 5, very interesting. It's got nothing to do with spiritual gifts. Nothing. The results of this filling have to do with Christian lifestyle resulting in the most practical relationships in the church, at home, that's why I read to the end of the chapter, and then at work as you go on into chapter 6. Very specifically here, the results of being filled by the Spirit are, and there are a number of verbs here, action words. There's addressing one another or speaking to one another. There is singing and making melody in verse 19. Verse 20, there's giving thanks and verse 21 
there's submitting. Those are the actions that flow from being filled by the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit powerfully changes our relationships with God and with others and it affects our attitudes and our speech. Let's just have a little look at singing in general before we come to verse 19. Singing is so important in today's church, and rightly so, by the way. Yet there's very little about singing in the New Testament. You will not find very much. It was there in the Corinthian church. When they gathered together, someone would sing with the Spirit, or someone would bring a hymn, as it's translated. There is this command here in Ephesians 5 to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and that's repeated in Colossians 3 and verse 16. James says, James 5.13, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Let him sing Praise. We've got that most remarkable occasion when Paul and Silas, whose backs had been whipped raw, and they were thrown, I guess we need to say, chucked down into the deepest dungeon. And what were they doing at midnight? They were praying and singing hymns to God. How many martyrs have sung psalms on their way to martyrdom? And above all, heaven is pictured as a place of singing. Just read it. Read chapter 5, 14, 15. That's where the, the angels and those uh, people representing creation or the church, the, the, you have the four living creatures, you have the 24 elders, but they are pictured as singing. It's a heavenly work. It's only once recorded that Christ and his 12 apostles sung. That was at the Last Supper when they went out and sung a hymn. Well, there's so little in the New Testament. Why is that? Is it not because there is so much about singing in the Old Testament? The whole book of Psalms has to do with singing. Singing is there at times of great joy. That high point of Old Testament religion when the... the the ark was finally brought to its resting place in Jerusalem. Wow, the singing, the, the arrangements that were made, the, the instruments and the choirs, it couldn't be done without the greatest possible singing. But it's not only times of joy and celebration. 
when God does mighty acts, like the song of Moses in Exodus 15 after the Exodus. And that's the song they sing in heaven, song of Moses and the Lamb, Revelation 15. Think of the song of Deborah and Barak in Judges 5 after that great victory over uh, their enemies. Think of David's great psalm in 2 Samuel 22. But more than that, and especially this morning, singing has a teaching component to it. One of the great songs of the Old Testament is found in Deuteronomy 32. The song of Moses. And God said, I want you to write this down and get the people to sing it because in it, I'm telling them that they're going to commit apostasy. But there will be final victory and perseverance. Can we imagine life without singing, without music? It's everywhere, isn't it? It's in all cultures, in all religions. Was there from the beginning those in Genesis chapter 4 who made musical instruments? There's one place where, uh, in human fashion, God is even said to sing himself. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The reason for singing is because peculiarly it involves the whole personality. Now back to Ephesians 5 verse 19. Just let's clear one thing out of the way. It's structured what we say uh, chiastically like a, a letter chi in Greek, like an X where you have uh, four things and the first and the last agree and the second and the third agree. You have addressing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Then the second part of the verse, you have singing and making melody. The word singing is just the verb from songs and the word making melody is just the the verb from psalm so it picks up psalms songs and makes them into uh, actions there are two things here in verse 19 there's singing to one another verse 19 addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then secondly, they're singing to the Lord. The last half, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So these words, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs... The word addressing obviously involves singing because of the words that follow. Uh, 
psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Now, we'd like to know, wouldn't we, what's the distinction between those three things? And I think when you've done all the study, you realize that to make a hard and fast distinction between each one is difficult. And we need to be very careful that we don't just pour in our English meaning. Uh, we actually take over the Greek words in English. Uh, in Psalms, it's precisely Psalms in Greek. Uh, the word hymn is precisely hymn in Greek. That's where we get it from. And instead of the word uh, song, you have the word ode in Greek. Well, that's a, another word, maybe an, an older word we don't use very much today for a song. Psalms definitely include the Psalms, the 150 Psalms of the Old Testament. But there are places like 1 Corinthians 14, 26, where uh, although the word psalm is used, it doesn't seem to be referring to one of those psalms. In fact, in the English Standard Version, it's translated as hymn. There are hymns. Uh, many people think there are hymns in the New Testament, like verse 14 of this chapter. Like Philippians 2, that great uh, section about the Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself and being exalted. What was Paul and Silas singing when they were singing hymns in prison? The word for songs or odes was used among the Greeks for secular songs. So that's why it's qualified here as spiritual songs, not the drunken singing that Paul is speaking against, but songs which are spiritual. They're of the Holy Spirit. And these are definitely wider than Psalms because you have them, for example, in the book of Revelation. Any song which is true to the word of God could be included here. It's noticeable in the, the Bible, in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation that whenever God does a new thing, then a new song is Composed. You can see that in Psalm 40, verse 3, and Revelation 5, verse 9. Now then, that's what the text means. What are the implications? There are four. First of all, we ought to sing psalms. We ought to sing psalms. They are there in the Bible. It is the inspired songbook of the Bible. We're all familiar with the Lord is my shepherd, I think, from Psalm 23. But there are a multitude of others. That's why many hymn books, like the New Christian Hymns, right at the front there, they have a list of all the hymns from the Psalms. The Old Testament is fully the word of God 
equally the word of God as the New Testament. And the Psalms, though they are Old Testament, they express genuine religion with which we as Christians may fully identify with. God's people over the centuries, they've always found the Psalms to express themselves to God in various situations. They found the Psalms so helpful. As I've already said, how many of the martyrs quoted or sang Psalms as they went to their death? And they found a like experience there that they were going through. Secondly, we may sing other compositions as we do. But as long as they are true to scripture, hymns and spiritual songs, we don't believe in exclusive psalmody as many or a few do, we believe we need to express the full range of revelation that has been completed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Psalms are not the final revelation of God, are they? Revelation is the final revelation of God, the New Testament. We want to sing of the reality we don't want to sing of offering animals all the time, do we? Although we know that the Old Testament animal sacrifice is pointed forward to Jesus Christ, but we want to sing of Jesus Christ and the great work of redemption that he has wrought for us. And then thirdly, singing is a corporate activity. Everything here is plural in verse 19, obviously addressing one another. So we're all to sing, we're to sing together in contrast to what they do and the kinds of things they sing at the drinking party. You will notice that It's addressing one another in uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We, we speak to one another. Uh, it may be that uh, teaching and admonishing that you have in Colossians 3 and verse 16, where it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that this is a result of singing. As we sing the scriptural truth, the word of Christ dwells richly in us. That's why it's so important to sing hymns, songs, whatever you want to call them, psalms, that are based upon the scripture that are full of biblical language. Have you noticed that this morning? The first hymn we sang, Jerusalem the Golden, lots of phrases there from the book of Revelation. Many Psalms, for example, are an exhortation to fellow believers. 
some exhortation to the Gentiles. Let the ends of the earth praise him. Many psalms praise God. There's a variety there. And then the fourth implication from addressing one another is that singing is for edification. It's for building up. And this is something of such great importance today. Singing is not for entertainment among God's people. There's the importance, the absolute importance of the content. Singing may make us feel good, but it's not designed to make us feel good. Actually, we sing because we already feel good and we want to bring our songs to God. And so in our worship, we seek to choose meaningful hymns and we even from time to time explain what we sing. Singing is for edification and the great emphasis in singing must be on the triune God whom we worship, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then the second Emphasis on singing here, the last part of verse 19, is singing and making melody to the Lord. You shouldn't see really a, a great difference, if any, there. This is to the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to give him full divine worship. And because we're coming to him, it must be with our hearts. We're to love God with our hearts. It's not the contrast of external and internal, but the contrast of being hypocritical, only with lips and sincere where it's actually through the lip, from the heart. What it's saying is this. We must give our all in singing. It's not easy, is it, when some of the tunes are a bit high, as we found out. My brethren, we must employ every faculty as we worship God. Our mind our emotions, our desires. So if there's a joyful song, we should sing it joyfully. If there's a song of confession, and very sadly there are very few of those, but there are quite many in the Psalms. Too many hymns today tend to be just victory, don't they? Which is true, but it's not the whole truth. We need to sing hymns of confession humbly. You just think about singers, performers, it doesn't matter who they are, worldly or Christian, how there's a whole range of emotions that are 
presented there according to the type of thing that's being sung. If God, if our God was being evaluated by how we sing to him as Belvedere Road Church, how great would people think our God is? We've got to tune our hearts, I didn't say our voices, to tune our hearts as a musician tunes the instrument. You hear them, don't you? The piano and the violin, making sure they're in, in sync. We've got to remind ourselves what we're doing when we sing. And we've got to do it to the best of our ability. Our ability may not be great, but we do it to the best of our ability. Is that how you sing? So what are the implications of this? First of all, I want to challenge you to stop giving excuses. I'm not the singing type. Someone says, maybe true. I don't have a good voice. That very well may be true. Any more than mine is good. I don't know the hymns you might say, well, that may be true, but there's such a thing as learning, isn't there? If those are your excuses and you're just content with that, what you're really saying, I know you don't mean it, but what you're really saying is, I don't care about being filled by the Spirit. Because that's the connection, isn't it? Be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When he fills, this is one. It's not the only one. We've got two more to come. This is one of the evidences that the Bible gives to us. I reminded you, that God is said to sing. Don't, we don't take that literally. But it shows what a great thing singing is. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17. How often do angels sing those glorious holy beings? Jesus and his disciples sang. The saints in glory sing. And God has made us that way. So one of the great ways we express ourselves to the Lord is by singing. Do you ever sing, apart from when you come to church, by the way? Do you ever sing at home as a family? Good, wouldn't it, to pick up in book, go online with the computer in front of you? Sing in family worship. God doesn't demand a beautiful voice. As he said to Moses, it's God who's given you the voice you have. I remember, if I can just give a personal reflection, as a, a youngster, I hated to sing. I couldn't keep tune 
Then when I went to Kenya to teach in a school, uh, we had an organist. But when he wasn't there, guess who had to lead the singing? It was me. And I remember on a number of occasions, I completely got the wrong note to start with. That's okay. With practice, it's amazing what can be done. Is there anything we learn without practice? Do children learn to walk without practice, for example? God doesn't demand a beautiful voice. He demands your heart. We're not singing that people might say to us, oh, I was listening to you singing. You do have a beautiful voice. That's not why we're singing. We're singing to the Lord and for his glory. And God sees the heart. And then another implication is that there are dangers. There's a danger of formalism. That we sing without the heart. As Jesus said of the Pharisees, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And to our shame, we have sung heartily songs, haven't we? And if you were asked, and if I were asked, what did you sing? We'd hang our heads sometimes in shame, say, I don't remember. That is not the worship that our Lord requires of us, of which he is worthy. And then the other danger is the danger of emotionalism. It happens, doesn't it, at uh, rugby, if they still sing, guide me, O the great Jehovah, come Ronda, uh, in Wales. Uh, the feelings are there. It's, it, it's beautiful in its way, but the mind is not there. There's no understanding. Many just get onto emotional high, as if on drugs or drink. But it soon wears off, because it's not according to the truth. So those are two dangers that we've got to watch out for in singing. But as I finish this morning, uh, my brethren, here is a clear biblical measuring line as to the result and therefore the evidence of being filled by the Spirit. I ask you, how important is singing to you? Are we sometimes guilty, and we say it and we hear it, we pray for the preaching, right? Pray for the preaching. As if everything else is just a hors d'oeuvre, it's just sort of a starter. Singing is as important and is as high on the agenda as preaching is. It's the way that we express our response to God for his word. So do you only come for the preaching? I spend maybe a few hours choosing hymns so that they fit in. We must devote ourselves to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because we have a great God and Savior to praise with 
all our being. What better way to conclude than to sing, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. That's what we're going to sing in just a minute. But of course, singing is not the way to become a Christian. And singing is not the way to be filled by the Spirit. Singing is a result of that. When you've experienced the, the burden, that crushing burden of sin being lifted from you by the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross, how can you help but sing? It's the natural response of a human being. That's why I sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. And if you can't do that, it's probably because you've never known that blessing of sins forgiven and reconciliation with God. But if you've experienced that blessing, then I'm sure you're eager to sing together with us this morning our final hymn. I will sing the wondrous story. And then you'll notice that those words at the end will sing it by the crystal sea. That's not just poetry, you know. That's Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6 because such hymns are filled with biblical language and biblical expectation.